0: Okay, mic check. One, two, one, two, one, two. Uh, yeah, let's get it. And now, the number one most requested song on WQQR. Will you be going to the the uh, pajama disco tonight? What? Hit me. There's some cash in my hand. Oh. The dog hit you with a oh, oh, come on, man. Give me some money. Get now i will be bossing. Oh, shit. about mother. Bye, bye. It's mother time. time. Okay. Oh, she's done. They took a little chilly outside. She wouldn't have got a bowl. I'm going to mind my fucking business. That's where I'm going. Do you have a problem with that, officer? <laughs> What's the fucking procedure when you got a gun in your head? but <laughs> I got a, I have a right <laughs> on to my, my collar, darling. No I, I am beautiful, and I know I am. I'm beautiful. And that's the double truth, Ruth. <clears throat> yo, yo, yo. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Adventures in Black Cinema, your passport to black film. My name is Desmond Thorne and I will be your host and your film aficionado for the day, as As always. always. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know if I told y'all this, but I am officially (gasps) living in my own apartment for the first time in my life. And let me tell you, it feels fucking amazing. It feels fucking beyond incredible. I feel so peaceful. I feel so much more (laughs) in control of my own life. Like, you know, because I have my own rhythms. I have my own routines. I have my own needs. And to just be in a place in a space where I can, honestly continue to figure out what those are and how to best adjust them is just beautiful to decorate a place the way you want and to just live the way you truly want to live i don't know if i can ever go back i may find myself in a time in my life where i have a partner And uh, I don't know if they're going to live with me. I just don't know. Like, I could see myself having a whole-ass house and still not wanting to live with anybody. Um, I will say that if I do have a whole-ass house one day, I will have someone taking care of it for me in several ways. I do love living by myself and doing all of the things. That being said, if I did have a whole house to myself, that's a nice size. Yeah, someone's gonna have to come over and take care of that. And I'm willing to admit that to myself. That is part of growth, that is part of the journey, and that is why we are here. And why we are here today is because greetings from Los Angeles, California. We will be taking an adventure in blood and black excellence today with the 1998 film Blade. I am very excited as always to get into this one. But whilst we are talking about black horror, let's do a little Decease and Desist. White folks don't bullshit, he's dead, fuck him, let's move on. We gotta have four days with this dead motherfucker, four days! So if you don't know, deceased and Desist is a segment that I do on the podcast sometimes in which I want to dead something. I want to kill it with a skillet. I want to get rid of this thing and I want us to pay attention to it and have a conversation about it. So today's Decease and Desist is about this new crop of black horror films that seem to be so wanting to just be horror films about our trauma as black folks, to the point where one begins to wonder, well, who is this for? Because I think most times when white people see this shit, they just kind of nod their heads. are just like, oh, that's horrible. And it's either A, shit they already knew and already feel very guilty about, hence will either come to you and apologize for it, which, you know, not really needed, or They will acknowledge that's bad, know that's bad, been known that it's bad, and just kind of like move on with their lives. Or you get option B, where they're just like, oh, well, that's not real. And it's especially not real because you're portraying it in this way, in this genre, and it feels so unrealistic that I can't even fathom it happening in the first place. So I'm not gonna call out specific films. Oh, and I meant to say that if the target audience is black folks, then we're also just like, we know that. Why are you reminding us of this in this way? Not saying anything new. Like, why is this happening? It just leaves us very confused, like very, very confused. So I'm not going to call out any specific films, though we did definitely cover one of these films in the podcast at some point. But it's, there's a way to do it where it is not so intrinsically linked to our trauma and our pain in the way that these films are. The perfect example of black horror that I would consider to be excellent that can be a cousin to these films that are coming out because they're trying to imitate it in a weird way that doesn't work is Get Out, which we've also talked about in the podcast. The very smart thing about this movie is that for Black people, what this movie really gave us was a moment of, oh shit, I'm not bugging. There are so many liberal white people out there like this. And that is such a central thesis to that film, to the point where Chris even says that he feels like he's bugging because of what's happening to him. And this is explored and heightened through the use of genre, but still feels very real. And the thing for white people is that they're being called out in a very specific way and a very specific kind of white person who is not usually called out was called out. The tea was spilled. They were read for filth. And this is the kind of white people that I'm talking about may be a target audience for these black trauma films where they're just like, oh, man, that's horrible. I will apologize to my black friend for everything and still at the same time, like, commodify off of us, steal our shit, and want to beat us so goddamn bad. And other great examples of black horror films that are not in this genre at all, or not just films, but media, that are... Black folks in horror films and also have other elements in them and aren't so linked in that way to shit like slavery. Like, why are there so many black horror films about slavery? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And also racism isn't really that scary to black folks anymore. We are so used to it. That unless you show us something new with it, we ain't gonna be scared. That's everyday life. So films that I think that are successful that do not fall into this at all are, again, Jordan Peele coming at us with Us because Us is so much more about the inequalities within class in America, within race, sure, but he kind of transcends that in a really, really cool way. Like, is there a statement being said about this upper middle class to like rich black family. Oh yeah. And that's also saying a lot more about class because guess who is also black but also very poor. You know, it's not like it's race against race. This is two this is two sides of the same coin, which is the brilliant thing about the doppelganger tethered aspect of that movie. And also, Lovecraft Country is something that is dealing with so much more and so many different people. Like, race is a big aspect to that show, and at the same time, that is because of the time they're living in. So, y'all, I just, I just wanted to stop. I just want more good Black genre films that aren't trying to teach us something that we already know or things to, at this point of people need reminding, there needs to be another way. Please, God, let there be another way because I can't deal with this shit anymore. It's terrible. So, decease and desist, you know, not to the people who worked on the films. Honestly, to the studios and the execs, who are making it feel like this is the only kind of black horror that can be made. Uh, This is the only shit that they're buying. Uh, This is the only kind of shit that they can be pitched to let these people get their foot through the door. Like, do better, do better. And we need some like dope black execs who are not going to fall into the same shit and the same rhetoric to get shit sold. We need people who are really down for the cause. So if you're out there and you're trying, please keep going. We need you. Please, 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 please. And with that being said, after this little commercial break, we are going to get into the nitty gritty of Blade. You are here for one reason. One reason only. To learn, to learn, to learn, to learn. Hey body people, welcome back to the show. So let's get into the nitty-gritty of Blade. You won't mind me borrowing this for a while, will you? If he moves, him. So, Blade was released in 1998, and it was directed by Stephen Norrington. And here's a little summary of the film if you haven't seen it yet. This 1998 adaptation of the 70s Marvel comic tells the story of Blade, played to excellence and perfection by Wesley Snipes, and Blade is known as a daywalker, aka a half-human, half-vampire who works as a vampire bounty hunter with a man named Whistler played by Chris Christofferson. One night, a hematologist named Karen, played by Nibushi Wright, is bitten by a vampire at her hospital, and Blade reluctantly takes her in. At the same time, a human-turned-vampire named Frost, played by Stephen Dorff, who is doing the absolute most at all times in this movie, seeks to wipe out the human race via an ancient ritual that will Awaken the blood god LaMagra, and the key to awakening LaMagra lies in Blade's half human, half vampire blood. This film also stars Sanaa Lathan as Blade's mom, who ends up being trash. But <laughs> when this movie first starts and you see Sanaa. I was literally like, oh my God, is that Sanaa? Like I totally forgot that she was in this movie slash did not really know that she was in this movie. And I was glad to see her kind of pop up again. We also have Donald Logue in this movie and we have Udo Kier in this film. So how's about some fun facts? So some fun facts about this film are that other actors who were considered for the role of Blade included at various stages in the process, Denzel Washington and Lawrence Fishburne, with Richard Roundtree and LL Cool J also considered at earlier points in the process. Second fun fact is that Wesley Snipes was originally interested in playing Black Panther when he was offered the project, and of course there are lots of black film myths around this early version of Black Panther that was attempted with Wesley Snipes and Spike Lee. We will, of course, never see what this was going to be, but I'm very interested to see what their take would have been. I feel like it definitely would have been less fantastical than Ryan Coogler's version. And I think Ryan Coogler's version is honestly perfect and at the same time it still would have been really interesting to see what this version would have been like. And fun fact number three is that this was only the second marvel film to be released theatrically after howard the duck and was the first success for the comic book company in terms of making films because as we all know howard the duck was a big old fucking flop it was a floppity floppity flop so blade really opened up the doors for the mcu And I think that we should definitely pay it reverence for that reason. And when we're talking about black superheroes, we can't just say that Black Panther was the first big black superhero movie. No, because y'all, we had Blade. We didn't just have one Blade, we had two and three Blades. And we both have another Blade. Oh my God, I can't wait for that. So my first experience with this film is that, you know, this was another one that I had seen over the years in barbershops and on TV, but I never sat and watched the whole thing uncut. And do not fucking come for me, you bitches. Don't come for me, don't come for me, don't come for me. Though I would consider this a rewatch, it did feel like a first watch in a lot of ways. I think at this point in the game, It still feels fresh in 2020, you know, even with Black Panther now existing and other black superheroes and other films and TV like Luke Cage and Black Lightning, like this shit still feels very fresh and very new. And again, I'm so excited for the new one. And, you know, there's something about Blade's attitude and his I don't give a fuckness that just rings so true and feels very for us by us, even though it was directed by a white man. So, with that being said, let's get into these themes of blood and black excellence. So first things first, when we're talking about blood, I do have to say that I do wear the very proud badge of not being very squeamish with many things in movies. In fact, most of the time it is kind of exhilarating in some ways to see some crazy shit go down. It's like, you know, I'm not the biggest roller coaster person, so I don't get the thrills from that. But sometimes I do get some thrills from like watching some fucked up shit that happens in a movie. It can't be like the whole movie, but you know. I usually don't mind. But sometimes when it comes to blood, it's just, like, a lot for me. Um, Like, copious amounts of blood. Not, like, kill Bill blood. But, like, the blood in this club scene in the beginning, Ooh, It made me so squeamish, you guys. Like, I would be horrified to have been in that club when all of a sudden, like, You know, you see one of the vampires bringing in this man. He doesn't know where he is. He don't know there's a bunch of people around him that want his blood. And then all of a sudden, the blood starts coming from the fire extinguishers or the sprinklers. And oh my God, I would be so fucking scared. Like, I don't think I could run fast enough. How that motherfucker, like, are you serious right now? And everyone's like loving it and they all jump on him. So it's cool to see, even though it's not him that is the first casualty, that in this film, the first casualty is indeed a white person. Woo! You know Stephen Norrington already flipping so many stereotypes on their head with this film from the beginning. I seen this movie. The black dude dies first. I mean, we all know that most time black folks will die first in any kind of horror situation, which is just—it's just the black guy always dies. Think about it, man. Unforgiven. Uh, Alien, Rocky IV, The Shining, Star Trek II, Forrest Gump, Witness, Annie Hall, not Annie Hall, no, Night of no. the Living Dead, that's the one. And what about that brother in Jurassic Park, man? Well, oh, that was cool. There was two black guys who died in that one. That was a twofer. You must be really pissed off with that one. It's just unrealistic. It's just white people being fucking haters. But yeah, first casualty is a white person. And then we are introduced to Blade through this first fight. And oh my God, just like the black excellence of this man's entrance His fucking fight, like I just said. (laughs) like Wesley Snipes just honestly really oozes charisma in this film. And it is not the only thing that makes this film work, but it is such a huge part of what makes this film work. I mean, every time this man smiles in this fight, of course, the famous shot where the blade is coming back to him, And he smiles as he holds it before he's about to throw that shit again. It is just absolutely fantastic. The skill that he has, the finesse that he has. Let me tell you something. The body that he has. Child, 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 child. When I think about the body that I would like to have, the body that I aspire to, it's definitely either just exactly this or something damn well close to it because it's just a sight to behold and it makes you think about the hard work that this man had to do and this brother has to do to get that physique and then to also maintain that physique. So big ups to Wesley Snipes. Like I said, again, Excellent, excellent, excellent in this role. Just um, someone that you aspire to be in many ways. Again, this kind of cavalier, I don't give a fuck, which of course, you know, a character's strength is also their weakness that does become a weakness of his at some point. It's just great to see. And it's something that I think we all want to imbue ourselves with from time to time. This kind of snideness that he has, I mean, some of these lines that he gets to say, some of these one-liners, like it's open season on all suckheads, is great. You gave Frost a message for me. You tell him it's open season on all suckheads. <laughs> um, and also another thing that feels very real in this film when we're talking about blackness and how it represents blackness is the fact that when Karen is in the hospital getting eaten up, bitten up by this vampire in the beginning of the movie, Blade is there trying to kill that vampire because he just destroyed him in the first fight, but vampires can regenerate. That's what makes it very hard for them to be rid of completely. So this vampire regenerates and then bites Karen and then the cops come. And of course, instead of the cops shooting the vampire, this white vampire, they instantly shoot Blade, who is trying to save this woman and save the whole situation and basically save everybody by getting rid of this vampire. And... His response to that, the, oh, come on, like, are you for real, is again another statement of Black excellence. Because that, to me, is a moment of standing up to them. Of course, he's wearing some shit that's bulletproof in the first place. And he is half man, half vampire. It wasn't going to work anyway. And still, this standing up to the cops in films from way back, we're talking Blade, we're talking House Party films that we've talked about in the podcast before. I think it's really important for us to see, though, of course, we do not have the powers that Blade has in terms of the invincibility and the shields and everything. Just to be able to see that is really, really great. And I think another... Great example of black excellence that courses throughout this film is the fact that Blade and Karen work together in tandem. They use each other's skills and strengths to take this whole fucking faction down. And it's really important that when Blade is faced with the decision to either save this woman or to let her go because he's reluctant to save her because he knows he's going to have to take care of her, and he knows that it's very possible that she could just turn into a vampire because she's been bitten. He is not sure. So to see him very clearly and very consciously basically say to himself, I'm going to pull through, and I'm going to save this sister. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. This sister deserves at least a chance that I can give her is really nice. It's really, really, really nice to see. And I think it's important to see on screen this working relationship between this straight black man and this straight black woman. like. Of course, it does turn romantic. I mean, duh, you can see it from the beginning. They're both ha, they're both smart. I mean, duh, 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 duh. However, it doesn't start off that way, and it starts off with them working together out of a necessity, yes, but it doesn't feel forced, you know? Like, Blade is reluctant to take her in because he's worried about her, essentially. Worried about what may happen to her, And I think something that's so great about the character of Karen is that she really does use the growth mindset and her strength and brains that she already has to figure out what's happening, how she can help, and how she can use her skills to come up with a solution through knowing blood. See, that's smart storytelling, too. They need each other. And they know that and seeing a platonic working relationship where these two people can come together and solve a problem and not be so romantically linked or doing it for love is aspirational. I think that's what we should all do in life in general. You know, we shouldn't do things for other people just because we think they're hot I know that's a motivation much of the time in life, but to see this as a Black relationship on film, especially in a superhero film where so much is honestly between a man and a woman usually driven through some kind of love or lust, it's really great to see and... It's a good message because I think that's something that we should just do in general. It's just work together more because when we work together more, we get this black excellence that is shown in the film through the relationship of Blade and Karen. And I mean, also separately too, Blade is the best at what he does. He is tenacious. He is fucking successful. And Karen is also successful. And to see two people successfully working together that are black, beautiful thing. Always a beautiful thing. There's also a relationship that I love in this film that is between Blade and the guy, that the brother that works in the shop that he goes to. That is a relationship that is not seen enough in the film and i really want to see more of like i want to know what their history is i want to know how they met each other i want to know what their vibe is when shit's going down so i hope that this character is in the new film version of blade even more because i have a hunch but i'm not sure that this guy is also in the comics which reminds me that i would love 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 To read this source material one day, I think with many of the other Marvel characters, I have at least read a little bit of the material, or I've seen their material either in a TV show before the movies came out, like The Hulk, or... You know, I've just seen various iterations of them, whether it be a cartoon, what have you, but Blade does not have a cartoon. Blade does not have a TV show. So I want to know more about him. And I am, again, just so excited for the new one. There's also a question I have about Karen, and that is why I have not seen this actor in more things. Like... I think she's quite incredible in this. She's so natural and just brings everything you want to the table with such an ease. It's really beautiful. It's a great balance between, well, I wouldn't even say it's a balance they're trying to strike. It just, she perfectly captures who the character is. Almost reminds me a bit of like a Lara Croft mixed with, Lupita's character in Black Panther a little bit, but kind of not even. A Lara Croft in that she is so smart and so just, like, absolutely the best at what she does. And at the same time, I'm sure a lot of motherfuckers take them for granted because they're also just, like, gorgeous. And I want to know where this woman is. I mean, I looked at her IMDb and there hasn't been, like, a whole lot of other big things that she's been in um and i will say too that the part near the end where she's saving blade from his blood being sacrificed for this fucking blood god whatever the fuck magara i have to say that like before that scene where sana who's the other main black woman in this film sanas is mom you guys like i said so you know spoiler alert there is a reveal later in the movie that she's not dead like we all thought she was at the beginning of the movie it's that frost has been like keeping her and basically using her as bait you know it's fucked up he's white of course it's the new white guy the new white guy is in here he's trying to he's trying to fix everything he's trying to clean the clean the human race Um, and he's also using Blade's mother as bait and why the fuck is she trying to like low key kiss her son I know it's all bait and it's like a sacrifice and all that shit but like no 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 And we get to see here in scenes like this and in scenes where the vampires do get killed. First of all, vampires getting killed is always the most satisfying thing that you can ever watch. Ladies, gents, everyone above and beyond, what we get to see here is the beginnings of CGI. Uh, We see CGI with all the vampire killings and we see CGI and puppetry with this fucking pearl creature. Oh my God. Is that you? He's here! He's here! This must be Pearl, the record keeper. He's going to kill me! You need me, Frost! You need me! Pearl, your history. Have the good grace to die with some fucking dignity. Frost! Oh, that's that sucker. Congratulations, Blaine. Frost. I hear you've been looking for me. I'm flattered. It'll pass. Scariest fucking thing I've seen in a movie in a long time. But at the end, we're talking about all this stuff culminating with Blade's blood and his mother and Karen and all that kind of stuff. So Frost, a.k.a. Steven Dorff, always doing the most in this film. He achieves his goal and becomes this big fucking mega blood vampire god thing and looks fucking disgusting. And you know, they're doing their best. It's CGI, you know, when all the vampires get killed, their heads look like Gushers, like the old Gushers commercials where the kids' heads would blow up into Gushers. So we also get to see the beginnings of CGI with these train scenes. I don't know if they were trying to go for subway trains or what, but they're a little off. They're a little off. Uh, And it's not me shitting on bad CGI. It's just like attention to detail kind of shit, but I guess they're not really supposed to be in New York, but it's confusing because if they're using, if they're in like the LA underground trains, I feel like those look different enough from Subway's. But anyway, regardless, something else about the blood in this film is that there is a sense of trauma when it comes to blood as a symbol in this film and not trauma in the way that we were talking about before with the cease and desist. It's not like it's trauma from slavery or... Trauma from being black, like, is being black part of it? Sure, but like, it's mostly the trauma of what happened to Blade as a child and just like existing in this world as a daywalker. There are not very many others at this point. And again, I want to read the comic and also see Blade 2 and Blade 3 to see, you know, how the world expands in that way. So when Blade and Karen are having this conversation about his past and she's saying something akin to, you know, that happened a long time ago, why don't you let it go in terms of his mom before the reveal happens that she is still alive and apparently wants to like fuck her son to make anything happen for Steven Dorff. This also, in terms of this trauma in the blood and why Blade can't seem to let certain things go and why Blade has this kind of wall up, you know, it all does tie into this trauma that feels more like it could happen to anybody. And that's just personal trauma, personal familial trauma, perhaps, which makes it more universal, less triggering, and more fucking thought-provoking. And also, again, beautiful to see... This relationship working in this way, where Karen also cares about Blade's mental health and his mental state and him learning how to let things go, what things to hold on to, and how to move forward with his life. And, you know, even though this whole thing with the blood at the end is crazy and a mess in terms of, you know, how it looks and everything, I mean not really a mess, a work in progress in terms of where the technology was headed. We do love to see a black chosen one, though he's chosen for something that's bad and should not be achieved. We love a black messiah, because it's not often when we get a black messiah. And that is what Blade deserves, because Blade is everything. So yeah, I mean, you know, acknowledging that there's always kind of this part of you that wants to hold on to the trauma and the pain of the past because it feels familiar is a great thing to fucking hit on when you're dealing with a genre film about black people. So, in conclusion, this movie is excellent. It not only paved the way for Marvel films and modern superhero movies as we know it, but it was also the first time that we really got to see one of our superheroes on screen and not in a comedic fashion. Like, I love Meteor Man and Meteor Man has a nice balance of comedy and a gravitas in reality, and there's also Blank Man, but it's great to see one not treated in such a comedic fashion. It's always great to see us pushing more into a genre space, like I always say, because this film is not only a superhero and action film, but it's also a horror film with sci-fi elements and that is achieved to perfection. There's also an undeniable black experience weaved into this narrative through both main characters that again rings so true even with a non-black writer and director. I, as I've said several times, cannot wait to see the new Blade. And I cannot wait to see how Mayershala approaches the character and to see how Aaron Pierre, who you may recognize from the movie Old and from the limited series Underground Railroad and the legend Delroy Lindo approach the world as well as the rest of the cast when they're announced. It honestly cannot come soon enough. And I forgot to mention, there's a little Blade to Blade connection here. Stephen Dorff was in The Excellent Season 3 of True Detective with Mayershalla Ali. And Steven Dorf is really great in that, and Mayershalla Ali is fucking excellent in that. And Blade is now available to stream on HBO Max. Say so after this little commercial break, we will be back with this week's You Better Act Award. <laughs> so welcome back to the show and welcome to this week's you better act award if you don't know The You Better Act Award is an award that I give out on the show every single week to a great black performance in film, television, stage that I think deserves way more love and attention. So I give it that because this is my show and that's what I love to do. So this week's You Better Act Award goes to, drumroll please... Janelle James in Abbott Elementary. So I'm biased because Janelle is a friend of mine and she's been in one of my short films, actually, my first short film, and she has always been such an excellent performer, such a consistent performer, such a real performer, and so fucking funny. She plays Ava, the principal, on Abbott Elementary, and she just absolutely knocks it out the fucking park. She's so funny. She's mean but being light about it, and she just gives these underhand jokes and insults just so perfectly. What is this, an iPhone 9? (laughs) It's like a Walkman, I don't know nothing about this. That's before my time. Hi, I'm Janine Teens, and I teach second grade to the Well, I'm not on social media like that, so I don't have a lot of experience with quality control. (laughs) 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 I'm kidding. (laughs) She know I'm playing. And that's why I, or more importantly, we. I could get you a lot of views, and that's going to mean a lot of supplies. But I'm going to need complete creative control. Mm, What does that mean? I'm going to take some photos, do a little video, and then I'll do my thing in post. Can you twerk? You don't look like you can, but I could be wrong. And also they've done a great job at showing a balanced side of her, of having a heart. You know, it's really beautiful to see a balanced comedic character who is not really the villain, but (laughs) in some ways, sometimes the antagonist, you know, in terms of antagonizing and getting on the lead character played beautifully by Quinta Brunson. And I mean, just her one-liners. The episode where Quinta fucks the lights up at the school, Janelle is just, oh my God, she's so fucking funny. Okay, this is it y'all, the end times. It's three months early, but it's happening. Gregory is the only person that can stay in my bunker, so stop asking. (sighs) Hell yeah, I'm a doomsday prepper. (laughs) Why wouldn't I be? I don't know why more people aren't. You seen Train to Busan with the fast ass zombies? (laughs) That day is coming. That day soon comes. And the episode where we get to start to see Ava's heart, where she helps with the step team, is just, just beautiful. It makes me so happy to see my friends being very successful in what they want to do and just killing it. Just absolutely fucking killing it. She's stellar. I mean, I honestly, and this is not just because she's my friend, I think that she is definitely good enough to get an Emmy nomination for this role. It's just one of the funniest comedic supporting roles I have seen in a network sitcom in a very 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 long time so please do yourself a favor check out Abba elementary it's one of the biggest hits this year and that's for a very good reason again the whole cast is great cheryl lee ralph um homegirl from the parent trap who played chessie love to see her again and of course homeboy from everybody hates chris They're all really great. You can catch Abbott Elementary Tuesday nights on ABC. And then it's also streaming on Hulu. So, like, definitely check it out. It is the best mockumentary comedy sitcom I've seen since Parks and Rec. And that is high praise. And in some ways, it's better. So, definitely check it out. So in closing, some food for thought, besides Blade and Black Panther, who are your favorite Black superheroes, and okay, we can include villains too, to hit the big screen, comment on our Instagram at Adventures in Black Cinema and follow us on Instagram at Adventures in Black Cinema. Subscribe to the podcast and also rate us on Apple and Spotify. Huge thank you, per usual, to the team. We have Cindy Edward, our production assistant. We have Matt Mozzarella, our audio engineer. And we have Miss Amanda Seals, our executive producer. Our next Adventures in Black Cinema screening at Nighthawk Cinema will be our our prospect park location and we will be screening friday what? on a 35 millimeter print on wednesday april 20th that is right that'll be on wednesday 4 20 at our prospect park location head on over to nighthawkcinema.com to get your tickets that is night spelled n-i-t-e and next time on the podcast we will be getting into the nitty-gritty of king richard i'm very excited This will be my first time seeing King Richard, and I'm excited to see what the love and the praise is all about. And I'm sure I'll love it. I'm sure I'll at least love Will and Ingenue. So until then, stay safe, stay Black, and stay blessed. Bye, y'all. It's over. Great.